Hello, welcome back to the Court Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McInnes, and after a week break, we're back at it. My guest today is Hawaii men's basketball assistant coach Chris Gerlifson, who was in sore need of an introduction at about this time last year, but should be well familiar to most Rainbow Warrior fans by now. Gerlifson, who'd seemingly just arrived from the University of San Diego to fill the job vacated by Adam Jacobson, memorably stepped in as head coach at the start of the 2019-20 season for an ailing Aranganat. He helped guide the Bows to wins over Pacific, San Francisco, and UTEP among the 13 games he oversaw, going 8-5 and five before handing the reins back to Ganat in late December. Gerlison is back overseeing the Bows' offense and has contributed to a dramatically overhauled roster, in which interchangeability is prized as much as, or more than anything else. Hear what the well-traveled Philly native has to say about the new November 25 start to college basketball, the possible shift of the Hawaiian Airlines Diamondhead Classic to the Orlando bubble, and how his tenure as head man feels in retrospect, among other topics. Here we go. Right on this week's edition of the Court Sense podcast, I am honored to be joined by Hawaii assistant coach Chris Gerlifson, who many of you will remember assumed the reins this past season as the acting head coach for Hawaii men's basketball in kind of a surreal situation. Coached the team for 13 games, went eight and five over that span, then helped Coach Gannat finish out the season in the Big West under his regular job title of assistant coach. Chris Gerlifson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Good to be here. So, Chris, I mean, it's it's been no shortage of just crazy times in the, in the college basketball world throughout this entire offseason leading into this fall, people not knowing exactly what was going to happen with the sport. We saw the Pac-12 back out of all competition until the new year. Other conferences, I think, like the uh, Ivy League have done the same. Uh, you know, that put your guys' schedule in certain uncertainty because you had some Pac-12 games on there. And now the NCAA has just said that the official start date of the season will be November 25th, moved back from, I believe, November 11th. So what what is your reality? What is your world like right now, Chris? That's a great question. Um, obviously, the last six months, um, give or take, has been a whirlwind for us in, in kind of unprecedented times. So I think... Um, you know, the best way to operate throughout all of this is just really having a short-sighted attitude and approach to everything because um, things have been changing on a daily basis. And um, it's been a situation where if you worry about what's going to happen in two weeks, uh, inevitably things change anyway. So um, with the announcement today, it's, it's great to have um, some information. I think over the last probably months since our guys got back, we just wanted to provide them with some information of what the season's going to look like. And um, I think the fear of the unknown for especially 18 to 22 year old guys is, is um, the worst part of, of all this. And um, so at least today with the NCAA releasing some information and at least giving us some perspective into how they're looking at how the season will go, can now let us, you know, start the plan and, and kind of tailor what we're going to do in order to fit that. 
And also, by the way, I should have let off with happy birthday because today is your birthday. I appreciate uh, that. Thank you. You're Thank still you. in your early 40s, right? We'll, we'll, we'll stick right around there. Yeah, we'll stick right around there. As, as you get older, you, you start trying to avoid these days. So, um, but no, it's great. I've had a lot of people reach out and I appreciate all the well wishes. And, um, just another day to me, but it's great to hear from people that I haven't heard from in a while. Well, I appreciate you making a little time today, especially. And now on that November 25 thing, we were just talking about how do you think that affects you guys? As you said, you want to be short-sighted in, in this near term. I mean, when you're figuring out, I believe there were three dates, including the Rainbow Classic, that were between that 11th through 25th time period and the other game being the, the marquee North Carolina game. So what do you think happens with those? I mean, is there any chance they can get moved or – or what? Yeah, no, I think um, the the really good and positive thing about all this is is obviously we have an athletic director and David Matlin who um, is is very experienced on the scheduling side of things um, and and Aran Ganat as well and and so throughout the course of the last month month and a half um, I think there's been a lot of good conversation um, with all of us in terms of what the season could potentially look like. And um, it's not a, it's not a matter of like today they get, we get the news and now we're scrambling. I think we've mm -hmm. um, been talking through some, um, some options and, and kind of um, some different scenarios of, of what might present itself for us. Um, but you have to be flexible too now. And, and obviously the schedule isn't going to look like what it was supposed to look like. And um, I think it's a matter of making all the pieces fit and, um, give our guys the opportunity to compete and compete at a high level. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the first game was supposed to be Washington State, Chris. I mean, they and the Pac-12, as we talked about, they pulled back all the way to the new year. I mean, is that is that one pretty much just gone at this point? Is that fair to say? I don't think anything is, is off the table, and we're exploring everything. And, and I know that's not – uh, an answer that provides a lot of information, um, which everyone wants at this point. But um, it is certainly not off the table. We've talked to Washington State. We've talked to San Diego um, prior to the announcement today. And, and um, really, it's going to now be going back to the drawing board, maybe throwing some dates out after the November 25th um, to see what it looks like. And, and each school, I think, is going to be different in terms of uh, do they put travel restrictions on their programs in terms of where they can go? And um, it's going to be a lot of moving parts probably for the next, you know, few weeks. Um, but I know Coach Gannat and Jesse Nakanishi on our staff, who does a lot of the scheduling stuff and does a tremendous job, um, will be wearing out the phones and, and um, talking to a lot of people. And, and I know you've probably seen with, with the bubble scenarios and stuff like that, there may be some unconventional um, tournament opportunities and in, in places where we may have the opportunity to go and play five or six games uh, on television. So those are all things that I think will be unique um, and be different. And it's unfortunately, it's the new normal for, for right now and something that we have to kind of navigate through and, and make the best of. Yeah, I mean, Chris, you mentioned the, the bubble possibility. I mean, that was kind of floated out there uh, in some of the, the college basketball world recently that at least maybe some of the ESPN type of tournaments of which the Diamond Head Classic is one. It's annually televised on ESPN right around the Christmas holiday, as we know. 
was floated out there as one of the ones that could be played in Orlando, like at the ESPN Wide World of Sports, where the NBA is successfully pulling off its bubble right now. So, I mean, do you think that could happen? Like, could you guys be out there in Orlando, Florida, as a, like you said, five or six games of opportunity, something like that? Um, I certainly hope so. And I, I know that um, it's been in conversation and, and uh, David Matlin and Iran have had conversations about it. Um, obviously, um, the timing of it, the dates, making it work with the rest of our schedule. Um, it feels weird saying the Diamond Head Classic being anywhere else but here um, yeah. on our island. But um, I think it's great that they're going to continue to have it this year. Um, and the fact that ESPN still wants us to be a part of it um, at a different site is 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 great. Um, so I, I know it's certainly on the table, and it's something that our guys I know would be excited to go and, and be a part of. Sure, Chris. How do you think the? I mean, as of right now, the two week you know quarantine mandate for the state of Hawaii is still in place. Like, anytime you guys go to the mainland and have to come back, or any teams that would be coming here would theoretically you know we'll see how long that two-week mandate lasts but that is the reality right now so like during these conversations do you have to give them like a heads up like hey this is part of it like how do you guys deal with that yeah I mean I think as I said earlier there's just so many still moving parts and and um you know you keep your fingers crossed and you pray that our state is going to, you know, the numbers are going to come back down and we're able to open the state back up and, and get back to a little bit more of a normal just day-to-day, -day, you know, day-to-day -day operation here. But you never know what, you know, next week's going to hold. So um, I think we have to be flexible and, and um, you know, be, be open to everything and anything. And um, as, as, as bad as it is to say, you know, I think things are going to continue to change. You know, what it is today isn't what it's going to be next week and so on. So um, we're trying to keep an open mind. And, and obviously the, the two-week quarantine deal is something um, that not a lot of places other than us are having to deal with right now. So, of course, that would impact, you know, us leaving the island or, or teams coming here if that doesn't change. Yeah, well, <laughs> as you let off with saying, being short-sighted right now is considered a virtue and not a fault, uh, unfortunately, sign of the times, right? But sure. Chris, I, I want to now go back with you to almost exactly a year ago. We're talking here in you know, September 16th. It's mid-September. This is almost exactly when you arrived here a year ago, just a few days out from full practices for the Hawaii basketball team for the 2019-20 season. You were previously an assistant coach at San Diego, had been at Hartford and the Citadel before that as your other Division I stops, spanning close to 20 years as a Division I assistant coach, including that, that first year here at Hawaii. And then you get through those first you know few weeks of practice and, and almost on the eve of the start of the full season, you are thrust in as acting head coach when Coach Gannott has to take a medical leave of absence that no one knew how long that was going to last. Uh, I don't, there were thoughts like, is Chris Gerlison going to be the head coach for the rest of the year? You know, among us media types, we didn't know what was going on. So Chris can please just a year ago, can you take me back through those first days, weeks of what ended up being a pretty crazy situation? 
No, absolutely it, it was. And it, it's kind of funny to go back and, and just kind of relive it all now because I, I don't think about it too much and, and too often. But, um, yeah, just over a, a little over a year ago is, is when I was fortunate enough to get the job here and, and kind of jumped in two feet in. And, and my days were, were a whirlwind trying to find a place to live and move my stuff. And it was late. Obviously, the school had already started here, and um, so there was just a lot of moving parts and, and getting to know our team and the staff, and um, so it really felt like from the time I got here to when the news of Iran going on medical leave came out, it felt like I'd only been here a few weeks, um, and things had been a whirlwind already. So when that happened, that was just kind of obviously icing on the cake for everything that I'd been through in the last two months prior, and um obviously the the first concern was for Iran and his family and making sure that he was going to be okay um and then after that I felt like he was going to be okay it focused to the team and, and getting our guys ready to to play because the season was right around the corner and um you know really didn't have a whole lot of time to think about what what you do you just kind of operate on instincts and and um lucky for me I mean, the guys who were in the program already, um, I became really close with very fast, um, as well as the rest of the staff. And um, I know it's cliche, but it really was seamless, you know, and, and things went, I think, as smoothly as they could go in a, in a tough situation. And we were able to hold the, hold the fort down until Iran could come back and, and get back to 100%. Yeah, as I think I said you, you went eight and five over the thirteen games that you oversaw, and uh, went down in in will go down in the the program record books as the twenty second head coach in program history. So uh, congratulations on that, and and posting a winning record under some very uh, as you said unique strange circumstances. But uh, let me back up with you, Chris, slightly to earlier in that off season. As I said, you came from the University of San Diego you know, West Coast Conference team. Uh, you were there, I believe, for about five years. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, four years, yeah. Four years. And mm -hmm. uh, like I said, you were at Hartford for, I think, nine years before that and the Citadel in South Carolina for another five years. So, I mean, you you have been to, like, some of the, the corners of the country, like the South, the, the Northeast, you know, out here in the Pacific. And uh, – how did you take that on, you know, going from a, a guy, like I said, who had been like two decades as an assistant coach to immediately a head coach in that situation? Like, did you feel like you were up for it? Did you feel like you were, you were ready just being around all the coaches you had been around to that point? No, I think I've been really lucky to be around some really good basketball minds and, and not just that, but just really good people uh, in the business. And so um, as I, gotten older and, and um, my years in the business grew, I, I kind of always envisioned myself as being a head coach, even though I still was an assistant and um, always tried to put myself in, in the thought process of how a head coach would think. And uh, even if I was just an assistant, I always felt like when I had the opportunity, if I was lucky enough to be a head coach, um, that that would help. And um, going through this and, and having the opportunity to coach 13 games and um, 
you know, operator program is, is stuff that I think now will make me even better assistant coach. And, um, it's something where when you have the opportunity to do it and you feel it and you get to live it on a day-to-day -day basis, it, it, um, you know, strikes a fire in you that, that makes you want to, you know, taste that, that feeling again, for sure. Um, but it, it was something that I felt natural with and, and I felt, uh, comfortable with and, um, you know, I, I didn't really have a whole lot of time to think about, you know, what I was going to do, or, or I just kind of went with the flow and, and I was myself. And, um, like I said, it, it, it couldn't have gone as smooth as it went without the people, you know, around me. Sure. Sure. Well, what was the moment like when obviously, you know, everyone's happy to have coach Gannat back and healthy and, and ready to go. Uh, you were in the very again, unique circumstance of, you know, being thrust into this role and having some success and then just, okay, now you got to get rid of the reins, give the reins back. Uh, was that a strange feeling, you know, after what you and the guys had been through the previous weeks? Um, obviously, as a head coach, you, you have more responsibility, decision-making, uh, the relationship, relationships are different with people. Just go, going back to your previous role, how, how did you kind of take that on? I think probably the, the first day or so it was, it was, um, and for Ron, for Ron too, you know, um, the, the one thing I can say about him is, um, the way he runs his program is he empowers his assistants and, and puts a lot of responsibilities on, on his guys who are, who are working for him. Um, so, my my day-to-day -day operation didn't really change that much you know maybe my voice was a little bit different um you know obviously iran is the the head of the program and and does a has done a tremendous job here in building uh what hawaii basketball is so i would say maybe for 24 hours it was it was a little little strange for for being in that role and then going back to an assistant but after that it was um, it was back to normal business as, as usual, and it was great to have him back. And, and um, you know, you forget uh, how much it means to, to just have the opportunity to come and coach every day and be around guys. So to, to see him come back and be able to, to get back into the swing of things was really good to see. Well, Chris, maybe you could share a little bit of how Hawaii actually ended up being your destination to begin with, because you know, as we talked about it, it was pretty soon before that 2019 season started. And uh, you had come from a, a successful situation at San Diego. I think it was back-to-back 20-win -back seasons and yeah. an N NIT appearance that previous year in the 2018-19 uh, season was coming. You guys were coming off a NIT appearance for the Toreros. So I know there was some coaching turnover there. Uh, I believe Lamont Smith, there was an incident where uh, there was a domestic violence arrest, but not charge. He ended up stepping down and Sam uh, Scholl stepped in as, as first acting head coach and then full head coach for the following year that you were still there. Yep. Um, so was that just writing on the wall that it was time to find a new situation or how did that whole uh, deal play out where you ended up coming out here? No, that's, uh, I'd love to talk about that. Um, Probably if you look at my, just my career and my stops and where I've been, I've, um, some will say in the business that you need to have movement in order to kind of put yourself in a position to eventually be a head coach. And, 
Um, I have always had uh, a problem with with changing and, and moving because of I view myself as a relationship guy and inevitably at the end of every year you have you form bonds and, and you feel connected to the guys that you've recruited and coached. Um, so for me, it was, it was always hard to look at what's next and, and to put myself out there and, and to really, um, you know, jump into different opportunities. And, um, so as I've gotten older, I've tried to always challenge myself to, to kind of think outside the box and, and explore some different things. And so, when I was at San Diego, um, it, the funny thing is I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for Iran and, and, and what he's done, whether it was when he was at St. Mary's, uh, whether it was when he was here as an assistant. Um, but I've always kind of followed Hawaii basketball. And, and um, my better half is from here. She grew up here. Um, and we used to spend a lot of time here no matter if I was coaching on the East Coast or, or when I was in San Diego, we always found time every year to come to Hawaii and spend some time. Um, so she I, was with you, by the way, through those other far-flung stops in your career. Uh, I mean, God bless her soul. She she followed me to Hartford, Connecticut, and put up with the winners after growing up here, and, and we made it through that. And then she was lucky enough to move to San Diego, which – to me is one of the better places on the mainland to live. If you're not in Hawaii, that's pretty close second. Um, but it was a great opportunity to be able to get her back here. And, and we always used to talk about it and, and, you know, say, wouldn't it be crazy if it had an opportunity to, to coach at Hawaii and, and um, get her back home. And um, when the job came open, I really didn't think a whole lot of it. Um, but a few people contacted me who were close to Iran uh, and kind of floated it out there and, and kind of in the recruiting game and in the coaching business, you kind of want to see if people have interest before you really, um, you know, put the full court press on. And mm -hmm. um, because of those conversations, Iran and I eventually wound up having some really good um, dialogue and, and his views and my views kind of lined up in terms of, you know, how we viewed coaching the game, but also just how we viewed running a program. And, um, it was kind of a whirlwind kind of speed dating, um, experience. It, it went rather fast, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly and really, really glad that I chose to, um, come here and I'm, I'm fortunate that he even presented the opportunity to me. It's funny how a guy can go from playing division three basketball on the East coast, come up through coaching in the West coast conference and then end up at the head of the bench at Hawaii. I don't know, you and, he, you and Coach Gannat seem to have uh, followed a pretty specific pattern there of <laughs> how that For came sure. to be. No, I never believe me, I never would have thought that growing up in, in Philadelphia that, you know, basketball would take me to paradise to coach. So, no, that's certainly – um, thankful for, for that and thankful for all the opportunities. I mean, this game has taken me to some unbelievable places, whether it's here in the United States or recruiting internationally. Um, it's just kind of, it's crazy to think back on all the places I've been and, and where this great game has taken me. By the way, of those mutual contacts with Coach Gannat that you alluded to, was uh, I was going to ask you, was David Carter, the former Nevada coach who played at St. Mary's, knew Iran from those St. Mary's ties and I believe was on staff with you at San Diego for, for at least yeah. one year. 
was he one of the guys who kind of, you know, help, you know, put that together or refer you back and forth or? Actually, um, it's funny, David and I, we worked together at San Diego and and once the process kind of started going, he was able to provide some, some good information on Iran and um, obviously with them both being St. Mary's guys, but um, really the, the main guys who, who really kind of jump-started the whole deal was uh, Kyle Smith at Kyle, Washington yeah. State. That's not surprising. Um, who I had coached against um, when he was a head coach at, at San Francisco. Uh, and I have all the respect in the world for it. He's done unbelievable things in the business. And, um, and Todd Golden, who took over for Kyle Smith, who's also a St. Mary's guy, um, both those guys were, were in my ear a good deal um, and um, respect the crap out of, out of both those guys. So it's always good to hear from, from people that, um, you know, you kind of always follow and look up to in the business. So they had nothing but good things to say, and, and they were very good recruiters for, for Iran. Well, I have to imagine Todd Golden was a little less happy when you guys played him with you as the acting head coach. And, and pulled off what was considered at that moment to be a little bit of an, of an upset over over uh, USF and uh, Kyle Smith, of course, the close watchers of Hawaii basketball will remember that he was he's been a two time finalist for the head job here at Hawaii. Uh, un- unfortunately for him, didn't get it both times, but it, I think things have worked out in his favor. He's now at Wazoo, so um, it's funny how the the those uh, college basketball ties just kind of keep you know, circling each other in some ways. You, you talked about kind of just, you know, envisioning yourself in a head job the entire time, or at least a lot of the time you were an assistant coach, no matter where you were. I think one thing that us media types were surprised by, pleasantly surprised, was how easily and, and just comfortable you seemed slipping into the role of of the media obligation spokesman for the, your team, your program, at least in an acting sense. How do you think that kind of came about? I mean, was that something that is like an easygoing personality type or what do you think just allowed you to kind of take on whatever, you know, interview requests or whatever it was, you know, uh, a uh, video spot, a uh, a pregame with Spectrum Sports or something like this, a podcast right now that just kind of lets you navigate those situations? Um, It's funny. You're like, everyone always asks me about that. Like, how was it dealing with the media and, and was it hard and, and was it something that you really had to prepare for? And um, I don't, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. I just know that I enjoy this kind of thing, you know, and I, I enjoy interacting with the media. I enjoy talking and being just normal and, and, and being kind of free flowing. And, and it's just kind of how I am. Um, so I know a lot of people probably would uh, stress or, or um, you know, think that that part of the job was going to be hard. I, I actually enjoyed it. And um, to me, it was just a, a chance to experience something different that you don't get to do on a day-to-day basis all the time as an assistant. Um, and I just figured I'm going to make the best of it and enjoy it and go with the flow. And um, at the end of the day, all you can be is yourself. Um, and, and so I, I valued and, and really, um, just thankful for, for being able to have this kind of dialogue and, and, and just talk and talk the game. And, um, as I always just be a normal, normal human being and, and 
So to me, it was was something that came very easily. Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to I'm going to guess or surmise that in your previous Division One coaching stops as the assistant coach in San Diego, Hartford and the Citadel, there weren't a plethora of media interviewing opportunities for an assistant coach in those situations. Would I be would I be right about that? Um, probably so. A few of my, probably when I was at the Citadel, I, I always did like a radio show. Mm. Um, at Hartford, you would have a pregame interview every once in a while. And San Diego, the media presence was probably a little bit better, but, um, no, it's not something I think I've told people this since being here a year, Hawaii is to me is just a sleeping giant and it's such a special place for uh, the fan support and for the media coverage that we're lucky enough to get. Um, You know, people a lot of times say this at the mid-major level that they have a high major feel. This really does have a high major feel for um, the support we get and for the media coverage. And, um, you know, I had heard that all oh, the media can be tough and they can be critical here. And, and that's what you that's what you want. That means people care. Um, so to me, that was just a win win. And uh, I can't say it enough how how lucky we are to have what we have here, um, whether it be from the media or whether it be from a from a fan's perspective. Well, yeah, that was exactly what I was going to ask you about next was kind of juxtaposing, you know, the, those previous stops with the, the media demand here and I got it yeah per capita as far as size of the market I mean the the attention paid to the University of Hawaii programs in general specifically football women's volleyball men's basketball men's volleyball and on it goes is is got to be pretty high when you take the size of the market you know compared to and stack it up next to the the media obligations I have to think it's per capita one of the the highest, obviously not being in one of the biggest markets out there, like in LA or in New York or what have you. But um, no, that's definitely something well, that, that, that I found intriguing about your just hitting the ground running and going with it. I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, and I think that it's a, it's a, you know, not just for myself, but for, you know, our team and our players, it's, it's a selling point in, in recruiting. You know, you, you get a chance to, have media on top of you literally every day here and um you know that's a that's a special opportunity and i've been a lot of places and it's not like that everywhere um and we're certainly um really lucky um to have the opportunity to to have exposure here and for people to care well chris i gotta ask you about this upcoming season the makeup of your team which underwent a pretty drastic transformation right from from last year I mean you lost impact guys like Eddie Stansbury like Zygmars Rymo and and then you bring in this you know signing class that started back in the fall I think you guys inked like beyond Ja Riley first and then it just kind of built from there to now where you I believe have seven guys plus junior Madut who sat out for the second half of last season so that's like eight new scholarship guys when you think about it how have you guys just kind of taken in your guys? I know you can do, you've been doing workouts. You're able to use the gym right now where other places have those restrictions preventing that. So what's the kind of uh, gelling process been like for you guys so far? 
Um, it's been it's been great, uh, honestly. Uh, our team, you're going to need a a, um, a media guy to know who's who, because obviously there's a lot of new faces. Um, you know, counting junior, eight new guys um, that we're bringing to the table this year, and uh, just the staff and and Iran. I thought we did a, a really good job in under tough circumstances in putting this roster together um, from March until now. Um, but I think from a makeup standpoint, it's going to be a team that looks a lot different um, from a style of play component, from a skill component, from a uh, athleticism component. I think this is a team that you're going to see um, be able to play faster, um, be more athletic and, uh, and, and, Certainly, I think we've upgraded in our shooting shooting category too. Obviously, losing Eddie Stansbury is a is a is a big um, shooting hole to fill, uh, and losing Drew Bugs is is always tough. Um, yes. as we know what what he's done in terms of leading the program and and being that assist guy for us. But um, I think our parts, our whole, uh, this has a chance to be a really special group. Um, I really like where we're at. I like the competitiveness of the group. I like the toughness of the group. Um, and I, I like the athleticism and the skill uh, set of the group. So I think it could be a really um, special year for us if everything comes together. Of course, I was going to mention, Drew, and you did lose a, a couple of your seven-footers as well, and Mate Cholina still being back among the, the seven-footers. So there, And you know, guys like Justin Webster are still here. So there is this mix of guys who have been around the program and this whole crop of newcomers, among which are two San Diego transfers, Noel Coleman and James Jean-Marie. One guy's from Belgium, one guy's from Montreal, Canada. They both spent a season last year at San Diego. You didn't get to coach them there, but my understanding is you have a at least relationship from the recruiting process or you uh, – have a bit of a rapport there that maybe helped lure them out here. Is that kind of kind of how that played out, Coach? Yeah, I, obviously, I had the chance to to recruit both of those guys, and and um, I had the chance to work with them for a summer um, before getting the job here. So I had a really good feel for for who they are as kids and and what they could kind of bring to the table. And um, you know, we we talked a lot about it as a staff. You know. The older you can stay in college basketball, the, the better. And the more experienced you can stay, um, the better. And I thought, you know, not just with those two guys, we've done a really good job of kind of uh, infusing guys into the program who already have some college experience, whether it be at another Division One school, uh, whether it be a junior college kid, or whether it be an international kid who may, might have played on a higher stage before coming to the States. So um, I think... And then, and then you pepper in a couple freshmen too, with with Beyond Riley and and Boali Bales from Australia. Um, so I think the makeup, the way we kind of tailored the team and built the team, uh, is going to be in a way that's going to be very uh, conducive for us trying to just continue the winning ways here. Were you uh, had you had your fingers crossed, or were you surprised, or what was your reaction when you got? you guys got the word that you got the immediate D1 eligibility for both those USD transfers. Was that more along the lines of what you were expecting? Um, obviously we, we, we had a good feeling about that, you know, as we, it's not why we took 
both of those guys, but, um, you know, through talking to them and, and talking to San Diego and, and kind of knowing how the transfer situation is working now, I think the NCAA is, is being a little bit more lenient in, in granting the, um, the sit-out waivers, and, and um, we we're lucky enough to get it with those guys. You never know what the NCAA is going to do. I've seen it go either way. Um, so we, we definitely celebrated when we found out both those guys would be eligible right away. And, um, you know, but they're not the only two new, I mean, we're, I'm excited about all our new guys. I'm excited about Kazin Jardine as a fifth year guy. Uh, Javon McClanahan has been at a junior college level and, and he's done nothing but win no matter where he's been. Um, and then Manel Ao is a was junior college all American, um, and who am I forgetting? Boali Bales, Beyond Riley. Um, am I forgetting anybody else? I think that's it in the in the San Diego transfers. So um, I think our our group has a chance to be just really really special and strong from from top to bottom. I, I want to ask you about two of your returning front court guys. You played pretty large roles this past season in Samuto Avea and Bernardo da Silva. Bernardo kind of grew into a at least shared starting role by the end of last season. And Samuta obviously was your most prominent wing player. How, how do you envision their roles in both at offense and defense factoring in all these, these uh, fresh faces coming in? Well, I'll, I'll start with Samuta and, and I'm, I'm mad because I've only gotten to see his progress over the course of, of one year. Um, but from what everyone tells me is, is his game is, kind of taking leaps and bounds in terms of where it's come from and where he is now. Um, and um, I thought he took a huge jump just from the time I got here last September to where it was at the, where his game was at the end of the year. And um, I can tell you this about Samuda. Um, nobody has higher expectations for themselves than, than he does. Um, he's a guy who I think brings tremendous competitive spirit to our team. He's a worker. Uh, he wants to be in the gym. Uh, and I think, you know, he's a guy who we need to see his scoring go up a little bit. I think you'll be surprised. Probably, uh, I'm hoping his three-point percentage continues to go up. Um, but we're going to challenge him to score in different ways. And, um, you know, he sometimes got lost in the fold with people so worried about Eddie um, that oftentimes he wasn't taking the, the best perimeter d defender on the other team. And I think this year will be a little bit different for him, um, but in a good way. I think his role is going to be, be bigger. Um, expectations are going to be bigger for him. Um, and we need him to, to be a senior. And I think he has a chance to have a, a really, really strong and, and uh, successful senior season. So, I have nothing but, but great things to say about him, both as a, as a kid and as a player. And we're going to push him every day to just keep pushing the envelope forward. And um, But he's a guy who you don't have to worry about on a day-to-day -day basis. He's going to give you everything he has. Uh, and it's always nice to see that from a local kid, too, which is, which is awesome. Um, Bernardo, I think, has a chance, knock on wood, if he stays healthy, um, to be a guy that, that – Hawaii fans haven't seen, you know, I think he has a chance to go back to probably the days when, when Riley Wallace was here, some of the front court guys that um, they were lucky enough to have. 
um, because he has everything there. Everything is there for, for Bernardo to be uh, an all-conference player. Uh, for him, and it, it's a good thing, uh, I think all that's going to come with maturity, experience, and, and just strength. Um, and he's up to 220 now. I think he was oh, wow. scratching 200 when he, yeah. when he got here, if that. Um, so he's added some really good weight, um, has gotten better shooting the ball from the perimeter. And, again, he's a worker. He's a guy who you never have to worry about outside of the gym in terms of what he's doing. Is he going to represent the program the right way? Um, he's just a guy you want in the program because uh, he's a talent, but he's an even better kid. Um, so the, both those guys, I think people are going to be really um, excited by their progress and what they, they had the chance to be this year. How do you think Bernardo and a guy like James Jean-Marie, who had a lot of starting experience at USD this past year, how might they coexist in a front court situation? Can they play together? Is it, a, is it an either-or kind of situation? No, I don't think so. I, I think um, – I'm glad you brought that up. I think probably a strength of our team, if you look at our roster and um, – you know, have a chance to come watch us work out. You could look around the gym and um, you won't know who's a five, who's a four, who's a three, who's a two, and who's a one. I think we have a lot of inter interchangeable parts. Uh, and if you look at the way of, of the game and even at the NBA level, how it's going, sure. uh, you know, it's become almost positionless basketball. And so when we talked about, you know, how we could upgrade and, and how we can kind of, push this thing forward uh we wanted to become more versatile you know and have more guys that are interchangeable and uh really at the end of the day it it really matters on the defensive end can you guard different guys because on the offensive side of the ball if you can dribble pass and shoot everyone becomes interchangeable and um so I think that's going to be one of the things that probably looks a little bit different um you know to the outside eye when they have a chance to see our guys is is we have size, we have athleticism, but we have a lot of interchangeable parts, which to me is going to be great because um, you're going to have a lot of pieces that you can you can kind of move around. I know you're a guy who a lot of your investment is in the offense, and it's been a situation where the last few, couple of years, few years really, Drew Bugs has had a the lion's share of you know ball handling responsibility. So my question for you is, with him now gone to Missouri, does that uh, interchangeability extend to like jobs like the point guard, like like ball handling, ball distribution. Are there a number of guys right now that could have some kind of interchangeable or shared role in that sense? For sure. Um, and I think one of the things we, we talk about in, in the way that Iran and I and the rest of our staff view offense is uh, you become really hard to guard when you have multiple guys who can play within ball screens. And um, I think over the last few years, um, Drew was so good in ball screens and, and almost dominated the ball in a sense in terms of being the only guy who really played off of what we call two-man games. And um, teams really had a chance to kind of build their, their game plan around him, you know, and, and make things difficult for him. I think what you'll see um, with this group is we're going to have a lot more guys who are are comfortable and capable of playing in, in ball screens and um, being playmakers for us. And um, again, you know, point guards are, are guys that I think we can play two at a time. And it, as long as you can guard on the other, other end of the, of the floor, 
Um, I think you'll see a lot of different combinations of, of players, which, um, you know, in the long run, that makes us harder to guard um, and, and tougher to deal with. So um, that's a really good question and, and something that we actually spent a lot of time talking about, you know, since, since we've had a lot of time over the last six months, um, is how we can be harder to guard and how we can present, um, you know, some different looks to the team. So um, certainly something that we focused in on. Hey, Chris, I've had a lot of free time on my hands. You know, I've just been <laughs> sitting here at home. I've had time to stew on these thoughts. So, you know, I figured I'd, I'd spring some on you. But, but I, I appreciate, appreciate the candor. No, I love it. Um, I'll hit on one or two more topics with you, Chris, and I'll cut you loose on your birthday. Sure. Uh, you know, in the background there in the Zoom call, no one, no one's going to be able to see it. We, we're audio only here at the Court Sense podcast, but you've got the Allen Iverson Philly jersey framed there in the background in your setup you are a philly guy you came up through the philly basketball scene what was that like for you uh is the is the competitiveness is the just kind of uh fervor i guess for people being hard-edged hard-nosed there does it live up to its reputation i'm glad you asked that um I don't always get the opportunity to talk about where I came from and, and where I was lucky enough to grow up. But from a basketball standpoint and a basketball component, um, I know everyone is, is um, kind of has ties to where they're from and where they grew up. But I mean this, I, I would, would not rather grow up in any other place other than Philadelphia in terms of what it exposed me to uh, from a basketball standpoint, um, whether it would be, um, you know, from, from the competitiveness of the high school game and the players that I got to play against coming up, whether it was from a little kid going to, uh, Philadelphia big five games and getting to watch Villanova and Temple and St. Joe's and all the LaSalle and Penn, all the, all the battles in Philadelphia that I got to see from a, from a young age, or even just being exposed to the level of coaching um, that I got to be around coming up. Uh, there's certainly something in the water in, in Philadelphia when it comes to basketball, but I think it extends to, to every sport. Um, they're passionate people. They're people who um, are, are crazy about their sports teams. Um, I, I'm a diehard, diehard, diehard. Doesn't matter what sport it is. If they're from Philadelphia, I'm, I'm a diehard fan of them. Um, and it's just been something where everywhere I've been, um, it's, it's stayed with me. And so here sitting in the middle of the, the Pacific, I, I do have my signed Allen Iver Iverson jersey um, behind me and, and um, just appreciated how hard he played and, and everything he gave to, to the game for being a six foot, 150 pound soaking wet um, guy to do what he did. And, and do it at the level he did was just amazing now chris i don't know if uh you know you ever got to play against anyone more renowned than kobe bryant i mean that's that's got to be like the top of the list right i mean it's uh you recounted it back uh in the shoot in january you know right after the the very unfortunate news of his helicopter crash uh you know you being a philly guy he he played you know, memorably at Lower Marion High School before he went straight to the NBA. 
Can you just recount for us real quick kind of what that was like? And did you know it was something special at the time or did you, did he come across as just another like really good star player on a high school team? As a, as a kid, you never, you never really think that far ahead, right? You, you, you have the opportunity to see a guy and um, Kobe was, was two years younger than me. So, um, you know, we, we had a chance, we played in a, a Philadelphia all-star game when I was a senior, it was like seniors against sophomores and had the opportunity to play against him in that. And, um, you know, had a chance in the summers to play pickup with him and, and be in the same gym sometimes training. And, and it's funny when he was in ninth and 10th grade, this is one small thing that I remember is um, he used to work out at St. Joe's university in, in the summer and he was in ninth grade and he was working out with the 76ers. Like he was playing in their pickup <laughs> games and, doing drills with them. And I would just, me and a couple of my buddies at the time, we, we try to poke our head in the door and, and see as much as we could. And we were just amazed the fact that he could be a guy 15, 16 years old and, and he's holding his own against pros. Um, and, and when you see that and looking back on it now, I'm like, that's some, it, it's crazy to me to think of what he was doing at that age. And, um, the thing that stood out to me is, is he was acting and, and training and thinking like a pro when he was that age. And, um, I mean, what 15 to 16 year old kid nowadays, or even then, how many guys really do operate like that? And, um, so just the maturity level and, and the way he went about his business, uh, at that time is just something that's always kind of stuck, stuck with me. And, and, uh, I was a l lucky enough to just see a tiny, tiny glimpse of that, um, you know, growing up. Did a uh, quick follow up to that. Did you, you mentioned like playing pickup in a couple of scenarios, you guys, your team and his team, did you guys ever play in an official game? We did. Um, I want to say my junior year we played and he was a freshman and we beat Lower Marion by a good amount. I don't know by how many, um, but it was a, it was a good amount from what I remember. And in the following year, his sophomore year, Lower Marion had uh, just an infusion of kids. They wanted to come and play with Kobe Bryant, um, and from there on out, they became one of the best teams in Philadelphia, one of the best teams in the state. Um, but even as a freshman, I think he was probably shooting. 30 times a game as a, as a freshman. And, and you could tell obviously that um, he was going to be something very special. Um, but no, it's just kind of crazy to even kind of recount and go back and think about it now. Well, Chris, from last September to today, it's been a crazy 12 months period from your arrival to the very tragic passing of Kobe Bryant that we just talked about to the COVID saga that's now six plus months and counting. So uh, I wish you guys the best of luck. Uh, hopefully you can carry out your business normally in the coming weeks and, and months. Uh, I'm sure we'd love to see a college basketball season in whatever form it may take. Uh, who knows what that'll be, but uh, Chris Gerlison, thanks so much for coming on the, the pod today. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you having me.